Welcome. You're listening to audio from Haddington Elam Church. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged by this week's message. So last week we talked a bit about, the last few weeks about moving forward, and last week we talked even about that God is doing something new. The Ancient of Days is always doing something new. I said last week, I love that. You know, we could picture God as this old, you know, God on the throne, long white beard, just old, just ancient, but he's always doing something new, and I love that. I love that he's always up to something. To move forward in God, we need to forgive the past. We've been talking about that. We have a new year. We don't have to drag all that stuff. We don't have to take stuff from, you know, 2001 and just keep carrying it the rest of our lives. We can begin to move and forget the past we need to sometimes take risks for the future. We need to be people that are forward-looking. We need to be looking to the future. What God's doing, he's always doing something new. And I told you last week that Moses always got stuck in the past. and He always would strike things with his staff. And God said, speak to the rock. And Moses struck the rock. And he was disqualified from going and leading the people into the promised land because he was stuck the way that he always did it. And sometimes even with us, maybe we used a a method or gospel tracts or whatever method we used to evangelize. God's always doing something new. We need to know what he's saying here for Haddington. And like I said, he's not going to do the same thing in city center. You know, we pray for strategy, but we need to take risks for the future. Think about without fear that holds us back from doing what God's asked us to do. If we take that off the table and not give it that option, what will we do in God? Most of us just allow fear to just keep us where we are. Without it, we can press forward to do all that he's asked us to do. We need to step forward in him and not cling to the crutch of the past. And many people still walk with the crutch. Sherry couldn't wait to get rid of him. When they said to her, you don't need to use the crutches anymore, she can begin to use that leg and actually walking on it strengthens it. And sometimes it's like we need to Move forward even sometimes with a limp and with a hurt, but not clinging to that crutch. Throw off anything that keeps you from running the race that he set before you. Paul says to just throw them off, forget the past, press forward on, the, on the, reaching the prize. So have you ever, with this message, have you ever considered that the impossible is made possible with God? That he is God of the impossible. So by definition, I want to give you the impossible. It says that it's, it's not able to occur, not able to exist or to be done. Impossible. In other words, it is anything that is outside the realm of possibility. When we reach our absolute limits, that's where he starts. We can get to the end. When we reach the end, That's sometimes where God begins. For him, time, space, distance, power, or anything else is unlimited to him. So with God, he's unlimited in power. This can radically alter your current position in view of him. See, because today, and I don't know where you're at in your walk, but today you could be facing impossible things. You might have got a report from the doctor that healing seems impossible. But praise God, we got Linda. Linda seems to think something about that. Linda, I still love that. I don't know when your anniversary's coming up soon. Linda's sitting here. God healed her. She's sitting here that God's the God of the impossible, a living testimony. 
Friends, God is always calling us to something bigger. Bigger than what we can imagine. See, we have an idea. Maybe this year I want to share my faith with 10 people. God might be saying, I want to give you the region. I want to give you East Lothian. Like we always think smaller than what God wants for us. We think too small most of the time for all that he wants us to do. We see ourselves as so weak and unable because we're looking inward. We're looking at ourselves and in and of ourselves, we are weak and unable. But he's without limit, our unlimited resources. So I know that that's sometimes what we say. Oh, well, we don't have the resources or we can't do that. And I've fallen into that trap of thinking that we can't. But he asks us to do things, things that we cannot do on our own. See, that's the, the rub, if you will. He asks us to do stuff that we can't do on our own because he wants us with him, partnering together. So he asks us to do things that we can't do in our own strength. And many times we want to do stuff in our own strength. That's my wheelhouse. That's where I'm, where I'm good. He asks us to do stuff that we can only, only accomplish with him. Bigger, wider. They require us to depend upon the Holy Spirit because we can't do it without him. And like I said when I was praying, and like, why would we want to? It's so much easier with Holy Spirit. So Isaiah says this. If you have your Bible, your phone, your tablet, it'll be on the screen as well. Isaiah 58, 8 and 9. These are verses many of you would know. But God says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Man in his arrogance, and if you've ever seen any of those videos of the top leading atheists or whatever, in their arrogance, they can't explain anything, but in their arrogance, they can declare there's no God. But in his arrogance, man thinks he has so many things figured out, whether it's science or space or whatever. We know nothing. In all honesty, they really don't know anything. His ways are much higher than our ways. His ways go beyond our comprehension. How can we know the mind of God? His thoughts are above the loftiest ideas that we can come up with. They're beyond. I remember if you read in Job, we always usually, when you read a a chronological Bible, you end up getting in Job early on and you could get bogged down. But he's like basically asking God all these questions. And if you read, I think it's toward the end, God's like, I will answer you, or I will ask you and you will answer me. Where were you when I laid the foundations? Like, and Job is kind of like, I spoke too soon. I spoke out of turn. I had no business saying anything. But I want to say today that bold prayers, and this is where faith comes in, bold prayers honor God, and God honors bold prayers. When we pray, we should pray in faith. See, I think too many times we just pray and are just saying something to God. God, I... Be nice if you would ever pray bold prayers. God, give us Haddington, Lord. Give us East Lothian. Give us Scotland once again. In faith, believing that, he, that we will receive what, that which we ask. Jesus says this in Mark eleven twenty four. Therefore, I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them, and they will be granted you. We need to pray bold prayers. Don't just pray and, and believe God for the small things. Pray and believe for the big things. Maybe this is the year you've been praying for a family member, a a, a sibling, a, a parent, a grandparent. 
Keep praying. Pray bold prayers that God, not only would they come to faith, my whole family will be saved. Think about Elijah. One man against 450 prophets of Baal. Only the true and living God could answer the prayer prayed by Elijah. And if you read it, I think it's like 15 words or something. He prays this really happenstance prayer. You know, God, let the true God answer by fire. And there comes fire down from heaven on the sacrifice. The false gods are not even alive or real, but they continually caused Israel to forsake the true and real living God. Elijah prayed in faith to God to answer by fire in sight of the people that Jehovah God was the real and true God. So one question we must answer, one question that I want to pose to you today, how big is your God? How big is your God? See, it matters what your view of God is. If you think he's just barely got enough power to just, just eke by to save you, he says that he's the God of more than enough. How big is your God? How you view him matters. Do you see him as a limited, uninterested, or distant being that is unconcerned about you in your life? And many people view that way of God. They may believe that he's real, but he's distant, he's unconcerned, he's busy doing other things, much more than being involved in my life. Or do you view him as your savior, your God, your father, and the king and lord of your life? See, in his word it says of him that he's omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient, meaning he's all-powerful, all-present, all-knowing, and everywhere at once. Do you know him this way? It matters how we view God. And I've said this before. It wasn't planned on It's not in my notes. But sometimes we view God through the lens of our earthly father. And so sometimes in life, if we've had a really rough or awful earthly father, that skews our lens or view of God. Because he's our representation, if you will, of what we think God is like. How we view him as he is matters. May this year be a year of new revelation of how big God is. See, John was the disciple that Jesus loved. And of course, as I joke that he wrote that about himself. <laughs> Who's the disciple that Jesus loved? It's me. And he was always, in, in the stories, always leaning in. He was close to Jesus, inner circle. But then he's on the Isle of Patmos. And he sees Jesus like he never saw him before. In fact, so much so that it's called the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's not, no longer that babe in the manger. And some people picture him that way. He's just, you know, weak and unable to do much. And John saw him as the reigning King coming back with eyes of fire. Saw him with the new revelation. And sometimes we need a new revelation of how big God is. Because we have this idea. Or maybe we feel that he's failed us in our past and he's going to fail us again. How we view him or our revelation of him. May we have a new revelation of that today. The size of your faith is also proportional to your view of how big God is. See, if you think God is weak and unable and distant, maybe you don't have faith when you pray because you don't think that he's going to hear you anyway and he's so busy doing stuff for other people. Numbers says this, Numbers eleven eighteen, and it will be on the screen. 
So he says, say to the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow and you shall eat meat. For you have wept in the ears of the Lord, saying, oh, that someone would give us meat to eat. For we were well fed off in Egypt, speaking to the Israelites when they were hungry in the wilderness. Therefore, the Lord will give you meat and you shall eat. You shall eat not one day, nor two days, not five days, nor ten days, nor twenty days, but a whole month, until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you, because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have wept before him, saying, Why did we ever leave Egypt? But Moses said, The people among who I am are 600,000 on foot. Yet you have said, I will give them meat so that they may eat for a whole month. Should flocks and herds be slaughtered for them to be sufficient for them? Or should all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them to be sufficient for them? And the Lord said to Moses, is there a limit to my power? You will soon see whether what I have said will happen or not. Friends, read, that's his words, not my words. See if I can do what I've said or not. Again, when God declares it, who can stop it? God says, I will give them meat for a month. And even Moses, the man of God, the man of faith, it's like, I don't know, 600,000? Possibly even more. That might have just been the number of men. 600,000? He's like, if we took every sheep and cow that we had, it wouldn't be enough meat. And God says, I got this. Is there a limit to my power? Friends, get this today. Whatever you're facing, is there a limit to his power? Our impossible is God's starting point. When we get to that point where we say, okay, I'm at the end, it's impossible. That's where God steps in. That's God's starting point. Have you ever noticed that sometimes God lets us get to the end of ourselves? He'll let us worry all night if we want to worry. He'll, he'll wait till we get to the end and we're like, and then we finally release it to him. And then God's like, oh, I've been waiting. Come on, I'm going to move. Have you ever noticed that? Maybe it's just me. You know, that they say that uh, about lifeguards. That lifeguards, if you see someone drowning, wait until they go under and they're about going under for the last time, then jump in and save them. Because while they're flailing about and you jump in to save them, their elbow may take you down and you may drown too. It's like God just will let us, if we want to, he'll let us worry and stress and be anxious. But his word says, don't be anxious about anything. But he'll let us, if we want to, he'll let us get that ulcer and have, you know, taken tablets and things. Jesus says this, Matthew 14, beginning in verse 13. When Jesus heard about John, he withdrew from there in a boat to a secluded place by himself. And when the people heard of this, they followed him on foot from the cities. And when we went ashore, he saw a large crowd and felt compassion for them and healed their sick. Now this was after John the Baptist died. Jesus don't even have a moment to go grieve. He immediately sees the people and he has compassion. Verse 15, and when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this place is desolate and the hour is already late. So send the crowds away that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said to them, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. And I love that Jesus kind of always put stuff back on, on us. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, we have here only five loaves and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Ordering the people to sit down on the grass, he took the five loaves and the two fish. And looking up toward heaven, he blessed the food. And breaking the loaves, he gave them to his disciples 
And the disciples gave them to the crowds, and they all ate and were satisfied. They picked up what was left over of the broken pieces, 12 full baskets. There were about 5,000 men who ate, besides women and children. Many say it potentially could have been 15 to 20,000 people. With a little boy's lunch, his mom packed him a couple pieces of bread and some fish. He had a little fish sandwich that he was planning on having for lunch. Friends, this is impossible. I mean, I've gotten a big plank of fish from a, from a, a chippy, but I couldn't feed 5,000 men with this thing. In fact, if someone is reaching, I'm going to be faster smacking their hand reaching for my fish supper. But they witnessed a miracle, bringing in faith these couple of fish and these couple of loaves. They saw the impossible become possible right there in Jesus' hands. See, again, we have our, our minds, we put on almost blinders, and we just say it's not possible. Whatever it is, it's, it's not possible. In order to expect a miracle, you need to take a risk. My pastor friend says this, if you don't take the risk, you forfeit the miracle. Now, I'm not talking about taking a risk like an adrenaline junkie. You're gonna try to jump out of a plane without a parachute or something foolish. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about like those guys who took off that roof to bring their sick friend to Jesus. They took a risk. He could have reprimanded them. They could have maybe been arrested or they've been, you know, they took somebody's roof off. They took a step of faith. Jesus performed the miracle, but the boy shared his lunch. And the disciples had to, I mean, come on, let's get real. They had to be foolish. Jesus is like, you give them something to eat. I think it was Andrew who was like, I've done something. I've found a boy with some fish and some loaves. Like, how foolish that would, it would have been, but it was a risk of faith. We don't have, no one else had anything, but they come together with this. And the disciples had to distribute it. My one pastor friend used to say, how many baskets were left over? How many disciples were there? So their lesson for the day was carrying around that basket with all those leftovers of the impossible, of we saw that it was Five loaves and two fish. But I think that's what God's looking for. He's looking for someone willing to take the risk to bring what little they have to the one who does miracles. The little boy just had his lunch. But in the hands of Jesus, that's where the miracle happened. We may not have much. We may not have much. But we bring it to him. And he uses us. If we take that risk, Jesus could have made food appear like manna. He could have just had it appear. It could have rained down from heaven. In fact, he's the bread from heaven. He could have done it a number of ways. He does it through this little boy's lunch. He wants to partner with us, us with him, to reach this world for Christ. So I just want to share a couple of impossible moments from God. Many of you will know these. God tells Moses to march forward through the Red Sea. Now, I've been to the sea a number of times. I've seen where the tide comes in. The tide's never moved for me as I'm stepping into it. Like, this is impossible. This is impossible. This sea opens up. And I've seen in movies where they try to do it in films, and they're walking through this deep mud. The scripture says they walk through on dry ground. They walk through on dry ground. That's impossible. God tells Joshua to lead the people through the Jordan River. It does the impossible, and they cross through. And it says that it even piled up upstream. 
I mean, I still could only imagine what that would have been like if you're the village up the stream. Like, Jimmy, I don't know what's going on. The waters just keep getting higher and higher, but they're not moving downstream. Impossible to go through the river. Then God asks him to lead the people to Jericho, which was a very fortified city. And they told, he told them to march around it for seven days. And they witnessed the impossible with the walls falling down. As I said, if you put yourself in that place, and maybe after day three or day four, they're laughing at you. Maybe they're throwing stuff down on you from the walls. Who would have put that that's what's going to happen? How's God going to do this? Well, the walls are going to fall down. Impossible. They said of Jericho that I believe it was they could ride chariots on the walls. They were that thick and fortified. But before God, they just fell down. God showed up big in these situations. And friends, God wants to show up big in your life too. God tells Noah to build a boat where it's possibly never rained before. And then even worse, he says, I want you to get in it, this untried, untested boat, and there's going to be water that just floods everything. And they all survived the impossible in an untested boat. Jesus tells Nicodemus that he must be born again. This is impossible, but Jesus tells him that nothing is impossible with God. God tells Gideon that he has too many men. In fact, God instructs him to fight with 300 against a seemingly impossible odds. Guess what? They got the impossible victory. Our God is God of the impossible. Jesus tells Mary and Martha's family and entourage to roll away the stone for their brother who was dead for four days. This wasn't what they were expecting. The impossible, dead for four days, comes back to life. Jesus tells Peter, step out of the boat. It's impossible. He did the impossible and stepped out on the water. And Jesus, our Lord, is crucified and rose to life again. Impossible. I mean, if you truly think about it, impossible. They wept. The disciples ran and hid because that was impossible. They never expected that outcome. So let's bring it a little more personal to us. What is God asking you to do? Maybe something impossible. What has he asked you or is asking you to do that you haven't done yet? Hebrews 12, 1 says this, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. For who the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. We have a great cloud of witnesses. We could read about these people in the Bible that have taken the risks, that have done, and as Paul said, I've run the race, I finished it, I finished the course that was set before me. Friends, as we're moving forward, when we look back, I don't want to say, oh, we're still back there. Nothing's changed since, you know, 1999 as we were worried about Y2K. Are we looking forward to this new year? Are we growing weary and losing heart? It says don't grow weary and lose heart. Friends, don't let the dream die. If God said something to you, you have a promise, hang on to it. 
Let this be the year that the impossible comes to pass in your life. Whatever that is that you're believing God for, whatever may be in your sphere of impossible. Like I said, maybe it's praying for that family member finally coming to Christ. Maybe someone who's wayward finally coming back to faith. The size of your dream, and like I said, of your faith is proportional to your view of how big God is. Ephesians 3.20 says this, Now to him who by in consequence of the action of his power is at work within us, is able to carry out his purposes and do super abundantly, not just eking by, not just enough, not just scratching the surface, super abundantly, far over and above all that we dare ask or think, infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, hopes, or dreams. That's it out of the Amplified. He's able to do much more. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are higher. And he's able to do immeasurably more than we could ask, think, or ever imagine. So again, I ask, how big is your God? Friends, he is God of the impossible. I have one more verse. And this is also praying it into faith. This is Hebrews 11.1, the faith chapter. Now, faith is the assurance, the confirmation, the title deed of the things we hope for being the proof of things we do not see. And I'll put a parenthesis, yet. We may not see them yet. It doesn't mean they're not gonna happen. We might not see them. And the conviction of the reality, faith perceiving as real fact what is not revealed to the senses. Believing it in faith. If God said it, he will do it. I said before, he's a promise-keeping God. And his book is filled with promises to us. So friends, pray bold, big prayers in faith to God. And like I said, may this be the year, maybe a new revelation of God is needed. Read back over Revelation if you've not in a while. See him with his eyes of fire and his hair, you know, white as snow, coming on the horse with the sword of his mouth, you know? Maybe we need to have that revelation and we need to stop living defeated. He's the conqueror. In fact, he tells us we're more than conquerors. Too many of us live like, I don't even know. We're more than conquerors, church. We're more than conquerors in Him. Thank you for listening. Please tune in next week for another inspirational message. If you're in the East Lothian area, visit us online at haddingtonelamchurch.com for information about how you can join us for our weekly Sunday services.